Nice to be behind one of these and not have to enter in a plea. Evening, friends. I'm a very grateful recovered alcoholic. My name is Jerry. Uh, I just want to thank the community and everybody here for making me feel so welcome. It's been an absolutely wonderful experience here. And, uh, you know, the, the Spirit of God is alive and well in here. And if you haven't felt the presence of God, then you are truly dead. Um, I'm nervous. I'm always nervous when I do this. Um, Mike asked, Mike phoned me a couple months ago and asked if I'd be willing to do this. And my first inclination was to say no. Uh, because I always want to say no. Who really wants to share in front of the most selfish, self-centered, judgmental people in the entire world? <laughs> yeah, they need a lot of vodka, a lot of God. <laughs> My experience in Alcoholics Anonymous is second to none since I got here. And what happened to me was, uh, by the power and grace of a loving God, who I gained access through you people, the fellowship, Good sponsorship and the clear-cut instructions given the recovery portion of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've not had a drink since June 2nd, 2008. For that, I owe you my life. And to let you know, the world is a safer place because of that. Um, I, get the, I get the privilege of, uh, it's, it's an honor to share in front of so many uh, people. Um, I believe there's a real privilege in Alcoholics Anonymous, but I love the, the theme of humility and responsibility because being privileged to speak in Alcoholics Anonymous, I believe we have a, a real responsibility that we carry a message of hope to the alcoholic who still suffers. And uh, that's what I'm going to try to do um, as our 12 steps as we tried to carry this message. And, and I didn't know what the message of Alcoholics Anonymous when I got here. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous did not get me sober. I got so, sober in an alley in the east end of Vancouver, uh, June 2nd, 2008. And uh, what was happening is that was, it was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a bright sunny day and I was uh, drinking some beers with some friends and I was in this alley, and I looked across the way, and there's this guy, and he's picking around the garbage, and I thought, oh, my God, if I'm not careful, I'm going to end up like that guy. And all of a sudden, I went, wait a minute. You're in the same alley. <laughs> and I was stone cold. I was struck stone cold sober. And uh, I started walking down the road, and uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had a full-time job. I'd been homeless for the last 19 months. Um, and I walked by this place called the Union Gospel Mission, and there was a lineup of people going in there. And, and uh, the guy asked, he said, are you hungry? I thought, my God, I can't even remember the last time I ate. And I said, yeah, I'm hungry. He says, well, come on in. And they brought us into a chapel, and right away I became very agitated. Oh, they duped me. You know, now they're going to come. You've got to preach to me before you feed me. And, you know, during that, uh, their, their little sermon that they do before they feed you, they talked about that they had a, a shelter at this place. And I'd been living at another shelter in Vancouver. And I thought, you know what, if maybe if I can put a couple days back together here sober, I can, I can do well. And I, I ended up staying on that that chapel floor and I detoxed for five days um, and I had seizures and I was psychotic and I do not use that term lightly. Uh, I was seeing things, I was feeling things, I was hearing things and I, on the fifth day I got into this treatment center and it was a 12-step based treatment center, it was a, a Christian treatment center and uh, they got me to fill out an application and I remember the counselor asking me questions and I, I, I can see today what he was doing is she was trying to qualify me for Alcoholics Anonymous and he, you know, he asked me questions. Do you lose things? Do you, you know, he says, do you ever drink alone? I said, well, when I'm buying, yes. When you're buying, no. Um, <clears throat> and he asked me about 100 questions about this powerlessness and, uh, of alcoholism, and I had no idea what he was talking about. And uh, I got into this treatment center, and, and everything was wonderful. People were giving me cigarettes. I had new clothes. And on the sixth day, they took me to my very first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. 
And uh, it was a, a Wednesday night at the Alano Club. And what I didn't realize is I crossed over a threshold into a brand new freedom that I never knew was going to be possible. And I immediately fell in love with the fellowship. I loved you people when I got here. So you're laughing and shingling change in your pocket. Some of you look like you're getting laid on a regular basis. And <laughs> it was all real appealing. And, and you know, I, I understand what I had there was God's grace. And I am sober by the grace of God and, and the God that we speak of that Closer? That better? Can you hear me now? <laughs> Can you hear me now? <laughs> and what happened was is uh, I, I came into Alcoholics Anonymous and I started going to meetings and, you know, uh, I introduced myself as an alcoholic in those meetings because I didn't want to be the only guy in the place that wasn't one, but I had no idea what an alcoholic was. And, uh, you know, they told me to do 90 meetings in 90 days and, and I did about 105 meetings in 45 days and I wanted to set people on fire and put them out with an axe. <laughs> I didn't understand how some of you people, and, I, and, there's, and there's no shame in it for myself, but I'm not one of these people who can just go to meetings and not drink. You know, I'm not one of these people who I can fake it till I make it. I can't make 90 days. I don't know what's wrong with me. And, and I'm in this treatment center, and I did what every good, when you come into treatment, I did all my back taxes. And I'm in this treatment center with 50 untreated alcoholics, and I got $4,000 cash on me. You know, and, and it was a 12-step Christian-based program, and, and they, we had to do the steps there. And in the first two weeks, they gave me step one. Um, the, the steps were crossed between Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous steps, so I called myself bisexual when I got here. And I went through, you know, the, the 200 questions they had on, on this powerlessness of alcoholism. And it took me about two weeks of writing and trying to decipher the big book and, and the how-to book and the NA guide. And, you know, I was real proud of all the work I'd done. And I went and handed it to my counselor, and he leafed through it in about 10 seconds. He goes, here's step 1B. Another, another 75 questions on the unmanageability of alcoholism. And it didn't actually touch on anything. You know, I thought my life was unmanageable because I'd lost houses, because I was, you know, successfully completed two marriages and and... <laughs> lost my house and business, and, you know, and I assumed that's what the unmanageability was. And uh, at about 45 days sober, um, you were staying away from the drink and you were getting better. I was staying from, away from the drink. Externally, things got better, but on the inside, I was dying, and I didn't understand what it was. I was uh, the book refers to it as restless, irritable, and discontent. And uh, I could really, really relate to the irrit irritable part, you know, and... and uh, what happened was, is at a 45 days sober, I started packing my stuff, and my roommate asked me what I was doing. I said, I can't take this. I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm dying. I, I, I want to get loaded. And he says, just stay one more day, man. Just stay one more day, and I promise. I promise something will happen. I said, okay, I'll stay one day. So I went to a, a meeting at the Native Friendship Center, and uh, when I was leaving that meeting, this white van pulled up beside me, and it was uh, Union Gospel Mission's mobile mission van. They go out and feed the homeless and whatnot, and it pulls up, and it's got hope written on the side of it. And uh, the guy goes, get in the van. <laughs> so I jump in the van. He looks across. He looks across at me. He says, are you done? And I lied. I said, yeah, I'm done. Never said another word to me. He dropped me off at that treatment center. The next morning I woke up and I started to pack my things again. My roommate begged and pleaded with me. And he said, stay one more day. He says, if nothing works out, I'll even go out with you. And I was like, all right, I've got a running partner. So I go to this meeting in the Maritime Group, a uh, good old-timer meeting if you're ever in Vancouver on Adnac and Commercial, um, and I'm leaving that meeting, and all of a sudden this white van pulls up again. It says, hope for it on the side of it. I goes, get the van! 
So I get in the van, he looks at me, he says, you done? I said, what is this, Groundhog Day? Didn't we do this yesterday? And he says, tell me what's going on for you. I said, well, I'm about 45 days sober. I've done steps one, two, three. Met a lot of really cool people and Alcoholics Anonymous, but I want to drink. And he looked at me and he says, sounds to me like you don't need to meet any more people if you want. I can show you how to meet God. And for no better reason than to shut this guy up, I said, okay. And he said, I'm your sponsor, whether you like it or not. <laughs> I said, okay. And he says, Monday afternoon, I'll see you with your big book upstairs in the classroom. And seven of us guys got into this classroom. And uh, we went around the room and why we were here. And Mike said, I'm here because of my job. If I don't get sober, they're going to fire me. And another guy, Jab, says, I'm here because my wife and my kids are going to leave me if I don't get sober. And he looks at me and says, Jerry, why are you here? And I said, I want to learn to live sober. And he goes, I like that. And he goes up to a whiteboard and he writes, learn to live sober on the board. Then he erases, learn to. And all that was left was live sober. He said, there's nothing that I'm going to teach you here that you're going to put in a practical application later. What we're going to do is do the steps as they're written, outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm a pretty well-read guy, and I'd read the 164 pages, and it was like hieroglyphics to me. I didn't understand a page, but I remember I got to how it works and says, you're now at step three. I'm like, where did one and two go? You know, and this guy opened up the book and he started the preface and he went through the forwards and he was sharing experience with it and all of a sudden it was making sense. The book made sense to me. And I'm like, oh my God, this guy must have the teacher's edition. <laughs> At one of the breaks, I actually went and looked at his big book to make sure it was the same one I had. The difference was is he had an experience and he was sharing it with me. You know, and uh, I'm, I'm going to meetings all the time and I'm... I'm I'm, go, I'm getting asked to share, and I'm purging at the, at the podium, telling how bad my life was, and how burnt down I was, and how sad I was, and, and everybody would try to fix me afterwards. You know, it was like a bunch of junior therapists, because they told us to talk about therapy in group sessions, and, and I didn't understand the primary purpose of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I didn't know how to share when I got here. And, and if you read how it works, there's, it gives a, a number of ways. It says we share tales before and after. It says what it was like, what happened, and what we're like now says we can share experience, strength, and hope with each other, and those are all fantastic ways to share in Alcoholics Anonymous. But the best instruction that I found was on page 29. It says each individual in their personal story describes in his own way, from his own point of view, the way he establishes relationship with God. And that must be what my job in Alcoholics Anonymous is, to describe how I built this relationship with the power granted in myself. But first of all, why the need for God? If alcohol is the problem, then if I stop drinking, I should get well. And, and if, you, if you're one of these people who can just go to meetings and not drink and, and happy, rock and roll, that's fantastic for you. If I could do that, I wouldn't be here tonight. I'd be watching the hockey game. But I suffer from a fatal illness, and I never really understood what that was. Um, and, and in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, they don't have a definition of an alcoholic. We have the description of an alcoholic. And it's a, it's a threefold disease that I didn't understand. The first one, you know, my sponsor was qualifying me for Alcoholics Anonymous. He asked me a very simple question. He said, do you ever drink more than you intend to drink? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All the time. He said, that's what's known as the physical phenomenon of craving. And I went, pardon? I'm like, I'm more thirsty at the sixth beer than I was at the first beer. You know, I drink with a sense of urgency like I'm about to arrive somewhere. Ta-da, here I am. You know, Pamela Anderson's going to show up with a beer truck and it's going to be a rock and roll party and it's going to look like the Molson Canadian commercial and, and it turns out with me in an alley, you know. And yet I'll go back to that same thought. When I was 17 years old, when I got the girl at the, at the party and, you know, I'm trying to relive that. If you'd asked me what I wanted when I first got here, I wouldn't have said I want to get sober. 
I would have said, give me three good years of drinking like it was when I was 18 years old, and then you can take my life. You know, I had no intentions of, of, of stopping for good. I thought this was, uh, and, and the book says permanent recovery. And when I heard that, I went, wow, permanent recovery. That's what I like. Um, from my understanding, of the literature of the book says we live our life one day at a time, not sobriety. Sobriety is a contingent on the means, my spiritual condition with a power greater than myself that's got my back. And, uh, you know, this, this allergy that I have is, is it'll, Bill Wilson said it in Comes of Age, it'll condemn you to die. And it's the one single fact of alcoholism that they, they, they push through doctor's opinion to page 44, the real alcoholic, they call it. Not the acute alcoholic. The acute alcoholic can stop drinking and their life gets good and their families get together. I'm a chronic alcoholic, which is to say that when I separate from the bottle, I get worse. You know, you didn't ask me to put down alcohol. You asked me to put down the solution to every problem and feeling I've ever had in my entire life. And if, if you're alcoholic and, and you know that magic, when, it, when, it, when you have that drink and that magic turns on, you'll never forget it. And if you don't have it, you'll never know what we're talking about. And, uh, you know, if, if drinking was the only problem we had in Alcoholics Anonymous, Nancy Reagan's Just Say No campaign would have worked for us. But the main problem centers in my mind, it talks about, and that's this mental obsession. And an obsession defined by Webster's Dictionary says it's an idea that outweighs other ideas. And the idea I have is this time it's going to be different. I think they use the word this time will control and enjoys the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. Says many pursue it to the gates of aromatherapy and yoga. says we pursue it to the gates of insanity and death and it makes it a very serious disease and I understood those two symptoms as being powerless over alcohol you know it's uh, I'm a guy who can't not not drink I drink and drug no matter what any feeling that I've ever had um, I drink good day drink bad day drink um, the real problem I understood was the unmanageability they talked about and the first time they mention it is in, uh, in the beginning of the fourth step. They say, for not only we've been mentally and physically ill, we've been spiritually sick. And there should be a banner in every AA club around the world that has the next line. It says, when the, physical, when, the, when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. And that's, I never work on the physical phenomenon of craving or the mental obsession. I work on the spiritual side, and that's why the need for God. And, you know, when I'm not drinking, the number one symptom of untreated alcoholism is depression. And when I got here, I had my head held so low. Um, my faith, I, I recognized people by their voices and their shoes. You know, and, I, and I, I, I'd come to meetings and they'd have the slogans there, you know, live and let live and, you know, just one day at a time. And there was only one that I was doing. I think you might know what it was. I was doing the think, 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 think. And I would think at people and, and I wouldn't be able to hear the speaker because I'd be so worried about what I'm going to share if they asked me to share and I remember I go to this meeting, this guy gets up to the podium and he says, there's always three messages. There's the one you want to give, the one you're going to give, and the one you wish you would have gave. And I thought, my God, that's the most clever thing I ever heard. And this old timer stands up and goes, just share your effing experience. And I heard that guy. And I never had, ever had to worry about what I was going to share in Alcoholics Anonymous again. I knew I could share my experience. And then all of a sudden this feeling of doom came over me. I thought, my God, I better get an experience. You know, in the big book, um, a lot of, they say we share from the heart. I share from the heart in the big book because my heart is in the big book. 
I got sober by the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and, I, and I work with alcoholics, and we go through the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous sentence at a time with a dictionary. And you know, they wrote the book for a very specific reason, because what happened is these, this guy named Roland Hazard got this guy, Ebby Thatcher, sober. And Ebby took the message to Bill Wilson, and Bill took it to Bob. And what happened is he, they, they found out that the spiritual experience was the solution to alcoholism, and they started telling other people. But what happened was is the message started to change. And it's kind of like, have you ever played that game where you whisper in somebody's ear and you go, I went to a Yankees game and had a hot dog. And by the time it comes around the room, you'd kill the Yankee and had sex with three wiener dogs or some stupid shit. <laughs> the story had changed. So in 1939, they published a volume outlining the program of action. You know, and uh, I like that somebody was talking earlier on a, on, a, on a panel that they wanted to change the big book to be gender specific. And uh, I'm so grateful they never change it. I'm glad that Alcoholics Anonymous moves at glacier speed. You know, because when, when I got here, um, I was crazy. Um, and I don't use that term loosely. I mean, I was crazy. And I remember we got into the second step, and I was real angry about this God idea. I, I, was, an, I was agnostic. I was an atheist. My parents passed away years before, and I'd hoped they were in heaven with God. But I thought God didn't want anything to do with me. And, you know, I found out there, it talks about it in, in We Agnostics, it says lack of power was our dilemma. Didn't say lack of meetings, didn't say lack of sponsorship, didn't say lack of steps. I lack power. And the 12 steps are about how to access that power. Whatever the God looks like for you is, is fine. I had to wipe the face off God and come at it with a new idea. And I, and I use the second tradition as a basis. It says our, our group consciousness is by loving God. So whatever that calls for you, for me it was love. And that's what I call my power, the power greater than myself today is love. Ozzy Osbourne said it best in Black Sabbath, the only way to God is love. You know, and uh, I didn't like the idea of this spiritual experience. I thought, what am I going to end up like Ned Flanders? Or, you know, am I going to end up at, end up at the airport selling daisies, being a little sunbeam for Jesus? And, you know, I was in this treatment center and I walked outside and I seen a seagull and it was a sign from God. And, you know, I'm watching a commercial with two kittens play with toilet paper roll and I'm crying and just a mess. You know, and, and I didn't really understand the spiritual side of this thing. My sponsor looked at me and said, I'm going to let you in on a big secret, Jerry. And I said, yeah, what's that? I said, this is good, this is good. He looks at me and says, there's only two sides to this. There's the drunk side and there's the spiritual side. Pick one. You know, and in that second step, I asked myself a question. Um, because I understood that the spiritual malady is what I really suffered from. When they, they call it restless, irritable discontent without a drink. And, you know, without a drink, I don't feel like I'm good enough or smart enough or tall enough or fast enough or good-looking enough or, you know, I just felt less than. And you give me two beers, and I get taller. Anybody get taller after two beers? You give me four beers, and I'm hilarious. I even crack me up. You give me six beers, and I'm an expert on many subjects. Best of all, that feeling that I got here that I wasn't good enough, smart enough, tall enough, fast enough, good looking enough, you give me eight beer. And I'll start thinking, you guys are pretty lucky to have me here. <laughs> and what I've described to you is called an entire psychic change. And Dr. Silkworth recommends having one without, without the alcohol in order to recover from alcoholism. You know, and, and the cool thing is that we do recover. You don't have to stay sick. And that's what was told to me. And, and today, staying sober is the easiest thing that I do. You know, the steps are not about becoming powerful. They're about becoming power-filled. And I have so much power in my life today. You know, lack of dilemma is my problem now. 
If you're new or you're coming back to Alcoholics Anonymous, I want to welcome you. And if you're suffering from alcoholism, there's a question that I told you I asked myself in the second step. And if you're new or you're coming back or you're struggling, maybe it's a question you need to ask yourself. And the question I asked is, what if this works? What happens if I go through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and a miracle happens? What happens if I become respectful and, use, and gain purpose and direction in my life? And that's all I had to base the steps on was this what if, and I was going to do it one time straight up, and it wasn't going to work, and I was going to drink and die, and I'd be right. Because you don't need to believe in God. You just need to be willing to believe in a power greater than yourself. And the promise says, if you, with this attitude, you cannot fail. So I said, okay, I turn my life over to whatever the universe is. And he says, we're going to get on our knees and say a third-step prayer. And uh, got on our knees and said, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self. And I went, wait a minute. Bondage of self? You mean bondage of alcohol? You mean bondage of ex-wife? No, because on page 63 or 64 of our big books, says selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of our problems. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate, seemingly without provocation. But we invariably find that sometimes we made a decision based on past which placed us in a position to be hurt. And I understood the real problem wasn't alcohol, it was me. You know, I'm selfish and self-centered to the core. I mean, already, look at this. I've been up here 20 minutes talking about myself, and I haven't even given you guys a chance to talk about me yet. <laughs> and I got on my knees, and I've only ever surrendered once in Alcoholics Anonymous. And that was the third step. I voiced it without reservation. I abandoned myself to this God of my, um, of my limited understanding. And some things started to happen. I started to, I started to smile. And I started to see other people smile. And I started to, I was able to listen to people. And I, I never understood what it was that I wanted that you people had. Because when I got here, I figured I'd just come in, find out who the AA guru was, sneak up, take all his shit, and get out. <laughs> and when I got here, I found out there was nothing to steal. He was giving it away. And what he was giving away was a rela- what they talked about is they had a personal relationship with the God of their understanding. And I never knew that's what I wanted in my life because I've had the girls, the cars, the jobs, all that. What I lacked on was the internal spiritual malady that I suffered from. And on page 52, it talks about uh, trouble in personal relationships. No shit. <laughs> you know, couldn't be of real use to other people. I was unhappy. I was full of fear. But what's more important for me is the score of the connect game. You know, and, and, and these bedevilments, they call them, are the opposite of what the promises are. And I got on my knees and I said a third step prayer with my sponsor and two other guys. And it says, uh, next we launch onto a course of vigorous action. And it was time to do the big, scary fourth step, you know. And I was, I, everybody told me, oh, yeah, it's really scary, it's really scary. And my sponsor looks at me and says, can you go write a list of people that you hate? And I said, yeah. And he says, go do that and come see me tomorrow. So I came back the next day and I had about 163 resentments. <laughs> I wasn't too angry. You know, and he says, do you know why you're angry at these people? Can you write that down, the cause? And I said, absolutely. So I went back and, I, you know, they lied about me, cheated on me, gossiped about me, you know, stole my money, stole my girlfriend. And everything was a blame game. And what I, what I didn't realize is I wasn't even taking my inventory. I was taking everybody else's inventory. And then we got to the effects column and it affected my self-esteem and my bank, my pocketbook, my emotional sobriety and all these other things. And, and I could really start to see a difference. There was another guy, by this time there was only two of us left in the step group, me and a buddy of mine, Kevin. And uh, we got to the fourth column when you look at your, they call it your part, but it's really not. Because if you have a part saying, I have a part, you have a part. My job is to ignore you entirely and look at myself. And my buddy Kevin was in the fourth step and he was really starting to change and it was freaking me out. 
you know, I was like, I'm not going to say anything, though, because I don't, I don't understand. And one day I'm walking down the treatment center, and he goes, Jerry, come in here for a second. He calls me in his room. I was I'm just going to come right out and say this. He goes, man, you're really changing. It's freaking me out, man. I was like, same thing. Me too. You know, and uh, I grew up on the streets, and I grew up on a, on a native reserve uh, when, I, when I was young, and I fought a lot. And, I, you know, I, I realized at a very young age that violence masked fear. And I had to do this fear column, and I, and I didn't think I was fearful of anything. And uh, by the time I was done my list, I had around 90 different fears. I realized my whole life I was just a scared little boy, and I used drugs and alcohol to cover that up. Um, I pray for those to be taken away. The only fear I have now is finding a book by Bill Wilson called Just Kidding. terrifies me. Whoa, I just had this thought. Could you imagine right now if we were all drinking the damage we could do to this place? Oh my God. But on the other hand, imagine if we're all carrying the same message of hope. Imagine the shot that that suffering alcoholic has to get sober if we're all rowing the same way. And on page 17 it says we're, we're here... But we're, a common problem is one of the elements that keeps us together, but it would not keep us together as we're now joined. So the tremendous fact for every one of us is we've discovered a common solution. You know, and I wish that were true in Alcoholics Anonymous because we hear all kinds of ways to get sober um, without literature. And the way I understood it and the way I live, and, and, you know, when I work with my guys, it's always about the, the only way I can recover is have a spiritual experience and a relationship with a power greater than myself. And I realized that God built me for two reasons. One was to have fellowship with him. Two, so that I could have fellowship with you. I was never meant to be alone. And you know, when Alcoholics Anonymous, I used to feel alone sometimes. And, uh, and one day I just opened up and I came into this meeting at, the, at my home group and there was this East Indian fellow with a turban, this little old lady with blue hair and this guy with green mohawk and all kinds of metal shit in his face and they're standing there having a coffee together. And I'm like, that's the strangest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> And all it says we're people who would not normally mix. And I'm like, damn right. <laughs> you know, and usually when I work with my guys, um, when we get to the fourth step, I always tell them, give up hope of a better past. You know? <laughs> and I finished this inventory, and, and I did a sexual inventory, and I found out it wasn't a list of people that I had sex with. It was the conducts that I, that I conducted through the sexual acts, and I, and I, and I found the defects of character, the, the selfishness, the self-centeredness, the lust, the ego, the pride, the envy. And, and the fourth step is really there for two reasons, to identify your defects of character and the people that we harmed. Other than that, it's just a bunch of list observations and prayers, and it was the prayers that, that I loved so much that really changed my life is this relationship with God. And we had to do a fifth step. And uh, I was doing it with a stranger, a guy I'd never met before, and I'm about 65 days sober now, and I got my, my we used to have to do a fourth step on big pinks of sheet paper. And I'm standing at the back gate of this treatment center with a big book, and my, and my knees are shaking. Because I'm nervous. I don't know if I'm going to be able to tell everything because if I tell them everything, they're going to ask me to leave because that's what normal people would do. And you look like normal people to me. And he came and picked me up and we, you know, he drove me to this park on the east side of Vancouver and we sat down and we made some small talk and, you know, whatnot. And he looked at me and he said, let's have the big ones right now. And I'm like, oh my God. So I went, Bleh! And I puked out the two worst things that I'd ever done that I had so much shame and guilt around. You know, and then I went back to my life. A lot of people think that we read a fourth step for a fifth step, and that's not what it says in the literature. 
It says, until we've told someone else all our life story. That's how we complete a four-step. And it's about reconciliation with God himself. Because those were the only two people that I resented by the time I was done. My inventory was myself and God. And, you know, in about two and a half hours, I told this guy everything that I'd ever done wrong. Every time I lied, cheat, stole. And he said, is that it? And I said, yeah. And we got up and we started walking back towards his, his Jeep. And I thought, this guy must just think I'm the biggest scumbag in the entire world. You know, and my head was down. I looked over him. He looked over me and he winked. And he goes, way to go, kid. You just did it. And all of a sudden, colors got just a little bit brighter. And my step got a little bit lighter. I went back to this treatment center, and there's some important instructions after a fifth step. You're to spend an hour by yourself with this, with this new relationship with God. And uh, all I could do is describe to you how it felt for me. I came into my room, and I fell on my knees, and I started to weep. And that's different than crying. And the next thing, I had this feeling that somebody was pouring warm water over me, and it felt like it was flowing through my entire body. And something physically came down and put its arms around me, and I heard a voice that says, everything's going to be okay. You know, and, and I, I was sober and I didn't want to drink and I remember I came out of my room my sponsor was standing there and he looked at me and he said what's going on with you Jerry and I said I don't think I'm ever going to drink again and he said perhaps the most important thing that anybody ever said to me he says I know I believe you he said you just had a spiritual experience and if you want I can show you to have another one I said right on I want this all the time <laughs> this is the good stuff you know, and, he, and, and step 6 through 12 is the playbook for life really what you know when I think about Alcoholics Anonymous what it does is it's kind of like a computer that's full of spyware and viruses and it's really slow and it's it bogged down and it's really painful to use. And then doing the 12 steps is kind of like wiping the hard drive clean and installing a new operating system that works fast and efficient. You know, and uh, the, I got into the sixth and seventh step and they're the most misunderstood steps in Alcoholics Anonymous, I think. And uh, this is only my opinion but because I'm the only one with a microphone, you're all entitled to it. <laughs> Step six and seven are about my motives. What is my motive for doing this? You know, am, am I acting in lust or pride or ego or envy or selfishness or self-centeredness or gluttony? And it says we ask God to remove them, good and bad. Why? Because I'll remove all the wrong ones. And apparently some of my defects are quite delightful. <laughs> you know, and it's, not, it's something that I do every day. And what... what the choice that I have in the wake up in the morning is I, I work with a lot of alcoholics and I always make them write a little sign and I make them put it beside their bed and says, am I God-centered or am I other-centered? Or am I God-centered or am I self-centered, sorry. And if you're self-centered, go back to sleep. Get up and try again until you're God-centered. You know, and, and I, I humbly offered myself to God and asked him to take away everything that stood in my way of being useful to my friends and my fellows. You know, because that's the whole purpose of this is, is they call, in page 164, they say, we create the fellowship we crave. You know, and that craving means that I want more, and I, and, and I absolutely love the feeling of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I, and I had a, a lot of eights and nines to do. And uh, in my first year of sobriety, I did around 70 amends. Um, I went around, I tracked people down, I wrote post-data checks, and I didn't go to these people and say, I'm sorry. You know, there's a tactful way in the book, it says, we go to these people who are stating our regret for, the, for our action or behavior that harmed the relationship. You know, and then I ask them if there's anything else, and I, here's the key to it. I ask them, how do I make it right? I don't tell them what I'm going to do. I ask them what I'm going to do. And then I do the hardest thing in the entire world for a guy like me. I shut up, and I listen, and they'll tell me what I need to do. You know, I, have a, I was just telling somebody earlier, I have a living amends with my brother when I got sober. 
out of some money and, you know, I'd disappear for years at a time and I paid him back the money and I said, what do you want me to do? And he says, I just want you to be happy, Jerry. So I go by there twice a week happy for the last five years. <laughs> One of the coolest things happened to me today, I realized my whole purpose for coming here was is, uh, I got to make amends to my ex-wife who I have not heard from in eight years. And she lives in Nanaimo. And about a month ago, we got in contact on Facebook. And she came here this afternoon and picked me up. And we went down to the beach. And I got to make amends to her. And I realized that's why God got me here. God takes care of his kids. You know, when Alcoholics Anonymous were a bunch of lit candles. And a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. So if you're struggling, look for that person that's got something in their eyes. You know, they talk about, I'm going to just off topic for a second here about sponsorship. You know, I, uh, my first sponsor told me he was my sponsor. I did not ask him. They told me to find a sponsor that had something that I would like. And I was like, well, I would like to drink. Um, <laughs> maybe not the best time to be throwing the ball in my court. Um, you know, or they say, get a, get a sponsor you can relate to. It's like, I can't relate to the squirrel on the next branch. You don't know his ass from his elbow. Now you want me to pick somebody? Telling newcomers to find a sponsor is like telling orphans to find parents. You know, my job, my job is to find you because you're the one that needs the help and I need to save my own life. And I got to experience the ninth step promises and they were absolutely fantastic. You know, and it got into the tenth step. And a lot of people in my neck of the woods around Vancouver, they call them the maintenance steps, 10, 11, and 12. And that's not what our big book says. It says our next function was to grow in understanding and effectiveness. So the step is about growing my relationship with God, my understanding of the literature, so that I could effectively work with other alcoholics. And in the five years I've been sober here, I've 12-stepped around 800 to 1,000 people, taking them through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I found a purpose. And I'm, I'm passionate about recovery. Some people... Uh, some people get offended because of it sometimes, right? It's like, oh, he's a big book thumper. He's an AA Nazi. It's like, how do we get ostracized in our own fellowship for reading the book that saved millions of lives? You know, if you played in a band and you knew the sheet music off by heart, that's a good thing. <laughs> you go to church and you know the Bible, they love you. The 10th step is not something I do at the end of the day. It's something that I walk through the day with. I continue to look for fear and, and, and resentment and all these other things that crop up, and immediately I ask God to remove them. You know, and uh, I got to experience, well, just one little short story here. I was in this recovery house when I was about seven months sober. I got kicked out of this uh, treatment center a week before I was to graduate, and I ended up in a recovery house, and I'm taking people through the steps. And I wasn't practicing the 10th step. And uh, what happened was is this guy came out and he said, he's new in the, in the recovery house. And he goes, yeah, in the, you know, he said, you doing the steps? He goes, yeah, I'm on step four. I've got 200 pages written. And I went, good luck. I walked away from him. You know, and about five days later, nobody's calling me. Nobody's asking me to do steps. And I'm thinking, what did I do? I thought, you know what, maybe I hurt that guy's feelings. So I went back to him and said, the other day when I made that remark to you, um, I didn't mean it. And if there's anything I can do to make it right, I'd like that to happen. He says, can you show me how to write a fourth step? And I said, I can show you how to do the 12 steps. You know, and God realized right there that I was, he was not going to let me advance in my recovery until I cleaned up the wreckage of my past. And I found today that it's way easier to eat crow pie warm than it is cold. You know, I've had to make amends for making amends before. 
I think round one's bad, round two's even worse. You know, because I did not do what the big book instructed me on how to do it. And I make amends for one reason. I don't make amends for me, and I don't make amends for them. Our book says our real function is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to the people and about us, to God and the people about us. That's why I make amends. And that's why I work with alcoholics, and, I, and I'm adamant on my guys that they make nine steps right away. You know, and I got into the 11th step, and which is the heart and soul of this program for me. Um, my daily practice is I sit twice a day for 26 minutes in silence, and I ask, be still and know that I'm real God. I say a little prayer set aside for God, set aside everything that I think I know about myself, set aside everything that I think I know about my fellows, set aside everything that I think I know about you, and please set aside anything I think I know about my own recovery that I have an open mind and an open heart to a much-needed new experience. God, I know nothing of you. Reveal yourself. And God blows my mind away. Um, the power that comes from doing that. Now, I, I, when I first started, I was doing a minute a day, and I would try mantras. Um, and I would do, uh, listen to guided visual meditation, and I'd do colors. And, and there was this one that I used to do. Was, uh, I'd pick a line from the big book, like, you know, thy will not mine be done. And I try to say it five times. Be like, one, thy will not be uh, mine be done. Two, thy will not mine be done. Three, that chicken Starbucks had really big boobs. Um, <laughs> and I would just try to get to the count of five with one thought on my mind. I remember when I first started meditating. I sat down. I was like, "What are you going to think about? What 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 are you going to think about?" It's like, "Oh my God, I gotta stop here." And I got to experience 11 step promises. And probably my all-time favorite one is we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. I've ceased fighting anything and anyone, even alcohol. You know, I live my life as a free man today. I can go where other people go without harm as long as I, as long as I maintain to do three things, trust God, clean house, and help others. And I can go anywhere and do anything that, that this calls me to do. And Alcoholics Anonymous has been such a blessing for me. You know, uh, I can't say enough. I'm making payments on a debt that I'll never be fully able to ever repay. You know, but my gift is, is that what I talked about is grace. And I'm not talking about the grace. Like she moved gracefully across the floor. Or, you know how we said grace before dinner here tonight? I'm talking about the unearned, unwarranted gift. And the 12 steps shows me how to accept that because I don't deserve it and I can't earn it. That's what makes it so special. And the 12 steps show me how to receive grace and show others how to receive grace. Some people call it a pink cloud, and I think that's uh, underestimating God's power. You know, I've heard people say that God never gives them more than they can handle. Uh, my God always gives me more than I can handle. That way I can rely on him. If he gave it to me and I could handle it, I'd have no need for God. You know, and, and the 11th step keeps me in the game. And, and it pushes to the 12th step, which is, you know, a lot of people say, do the work. And I always tell them, do the steps first. Because the work really begins in the 12th step in the chapter called Working with Others. And that's where I get to work, you know, with, with a lot of alcoholics. And I get to travel and I get to, you know, when I work with an alcoholic, we're going to do it very quickly. Um, I'm not going to waste any time with you. We're going to do the steps in about a week. Um, and how it works, it says, may you find God now. It doesn't say six months from now, three months, three relapses from now, but right now. And I understood what the fourth dimension was. You know, three dimensions. Einstein came up with the idea that it was height, width, and depth, and the fourth being present. The presence of time is the fourth dimension. Right here, 
right now, right this very second, what's wrong? Nothing. And that's where I get to live today. The only time that I'd ever lived in the present moment, because I'm usually in the past worried about my past catching up with me or I'm too busy trying to clear the wreckage of my future, I forget about right here and right now. Everything is absolutely perfect in God's world. You know, and, and I get to, the only time I'd ever been present in my life before was when I was drinking whiskey and snorting cocaine. I was in the moment. <laughs> and if I don't learn how to get present like that again, I'll go back to what worked. And I'll drink again. And for a guy like me, you know, drinking, people aren't afraid to death. Alcoholism is, is a slow killer. A uh, buddy of mine, Bob D. from Las Vegas, says alcoholics is such a slow killer. It's like being kicked to death by rabbits. <laughs> so in the 12th step, I work with my guys, and we're going to work through the steps very rapidly. Um, we're not going to take a whole lot of time. And I want them making amends the next day we're done. I want them working it up with others. I want them grieving at their meeting. I want them in detox panels. You know, and, and I, I sponsor a, a slew of men and women who are the easiest sponsees in the entire world because they've all done the steps. If they call me and say, I've got a problem, I say, have you been in prayer yet? They say, no, click, I hang up. Why are you coming to me? Go to God first. Because when I got here, I've worshipped all the fingers. I've worshipped the meetings, my sponsor, the steps, the big book. And I worshipped everything that I should have been worshipping, which was instead was God. You know, and, and today, it is about a relationship with God. There's nothing in the world that is more important to me. And I thought, you know, when people got here and said recovery was the most important thing, I thought, you guys are crazy. My kids are the most important thing. But I realized without recovery, I can't have kids. I can't have what I have today. And I don't go into meetings expecting to take things from somebody. I need it all. I'm, I'm playing with my life here. I can't gamble. I need it all from everybody, and I listen for God through you. You know, um, never seen God, um, seen evidence of his work. When I see you and your lies are lit up, you know, and that's what that newcomer needs to find. If this isn't fun, I don't want to do it. I'm better off drinking. But my life today, sometimes they make it sound like my life is just wonderful and my life is just fantastic. And I just really want to make this clear to you people. My life is wonderful and my life is fantastic. And it's because of you who carried the message to me. Um, running out of time here. I'm going to end with a couple little things. Uh, it's a story about an alcoholic who fell in this hole. And he's screaming and he's yelling for help. And he's screaming and he's yelling for help. And a businessman hears him. The businessman walks over the edge of the, uh, edge of the hole and looks down and says, what's the problem? The guy says, I'm an alcoholic and I can't get out of here. And the businessman says, oh, that's too bad. Here's some money. Buy yourself a ladder. And leaves him. You know, and he's screaming and yelling, and the priest hears him. And the priest walks over. He says, what's the problem? guy says, I'm an alcoholic, and I can't get out of this hole. And he says, oh, that's too bad, son. I'll pray for you. When you get out, come to church. And leaves him sitting there screaming and yelling. And, and uh, a psychiatrist hears him, my favorite. He comes over, and he says, what's the problem? guy says, I'm an alcoholic. I can't get out of this hole. And he says, did your parents put you in that hole? <laughs> and he says, no. He says, were you born in that hole? He says, no. And he goes, oh, I see my time up here is done. I'll be back next week, same time. And he leaves. And a recovered alcoholic hears him. And he walks over to the edge of the hole and he looks down and he says, what's the problem? The guy goes, I'm an alcoholic. I can't get out of this hole. And the other alcoholic jumps in the hole with him. The guy says, you idiot. Now we're both stuck here. And the recovered alcoholic looks and says, no, I've been here before. I know the way out. And that's what my job today is to find those alcoholics in that hole and show them a way out. I'm just going to end on this one last note here. Um, thank you for my, for my stay and for all the welcoming that I've had. Um, 
At two years sober, I ended up in a psych ward with uh, suicidal thoughts and hearing voices. And then in two years, I made a, I renewed my faith with God. And I asked God, how can I get to know you better? And God spoke to me. He said, if you want to get to know me, get to know my children. That's you people. And the more of you have come to meet and work with and work with me and help me, the better I know God. So if I have not met you yet, please come shake my hand. I need to know God better. Thank you. God bless.